2 Kings chapter number 2. And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elisha said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Terry, I pray thee here, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they too went on. I want to preach tonight very simply on four places you must visit before you go home. Four places you must visit before you go home. Over the years, the Lord has allowed my wife and I to do a bit of traveling, and we enjoy traveling. Of course, we enjoy being at home, but the Lord has allowed us to visit different mission fields and take different vacations and, and, and see a lot of places, and we, we're grateful for that. Several years ago, we were going through a little rough patch in our church and we just needed to get away, just, just, just needed to go. And so I went on some travel sites and just, just wanted to take her somewhere. And we, we decided to go to the little island of Bermuda, way out there in the little island, British island out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. And we found some cheap flights and, and were able to go out there. Bermuda's a very clean place, uh, hardly no crime at all there, very... Uh, very formal because of the British influence. And so we decided to go to Bermuda, and we were there for a week and had a great time. We, we found a Christian resort. There was a Christian company that owned a resort right there on the water and, and had everything that we needed, and so we were able to stay in that Christian resort. And the Christian part of the resort was there were no TVs in the rooms. We were fine with that. All of the um, decor and art and everything was a Bible verse or you know, something spiritual. If you chose to eat meals uh, in the dining room of the main group, there would be somebody that would open in prayer and a hymn. And then every morning in the library, they would bring in a pastor or a minister from somewhere around the world, and that minister would get to stay free, and as part of that deal, he would lead morning devotions every morning. And they would have that every morning, some pastor will, the week that we were there, there was a retired pastor from England. I don't even believe that he was Baptist. I believe that he was Free Presbyterian. But he was there that week, and he was giving the devotions in the morning. Now, I, my wife is not an early riser, especially on vacation, but I thought, you know, it'll look really bad if we don't go to devotions. And so every morning, I got my wife out of bed about 7.30, and we went to the library to go to devotions. And it was me and her, that old preacher and his wife, 
and one other lady. That's all that was there for devotions. That, that week, for five mornings, he took as his devotions from Romans chapter 8, verse 29 to the end of the chapter, where Paul asked five questions, five questions, and every morning he spent about 15 minutes elaborating or expounding on one question. And I've got to tell you that if it wasn't for anybody else, it was for me. Well, the gravelly, it was some of the richest, deepest. I walked out of there every morning, and I know, I know that God can't use you if you're not a Baptist, but, but that week he stepped out of the box, and God used that old preacher. And I mean, every morning I walked out of there, I was on cloud nine, and my cup was overflowing, and I mean, I was, I was just jacked up for the day, and just, I mean, just filled me up. And God used, God used that old preacher to really give me revival that week. There was a second thing that happened that week that God used as well in my life in a mighty way. Bermuda, of course, used to be under British rule and in colonial days, they had a lot of colonial ways in Bermuda. There's a lot of tour, uh, um, cruise ships that come into Bermuda on one end of the island and so they have a little town square that is set up like it would have been in colonial days. And they would do reenactments there uh, for those tourists that are coming in on those cruise ships. One of the things that they would do in colonial days that if a man had a wife who was a nag, that just wouldn't quit, just a continual dropping, all right? Then what this man could do, if he just couldn't handle his wife, he could bring her to the magistrate, the magistrate of the island, and he would, he would declare, my wife won't listen to me, she won't submit, she's constantly nagging, she's not happy about anything. The magistrate would, 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 would question her, and then he would make a declaration. And we stand in the town square, hear ye, hear ye, and they would declare, they would declare that she truly is a nag. But what do you do about it? So they had a catapult that was set right at the edge of the bay. And they would set her in that catapult. They would release the lever and it would flip her 20 feet in the air and it would throw her out there into that little inlet of water. I believe the idea was that maybe it would cool her down. Now I promise you, I promise you, if it had been my wife, it would not have worked. That would not have cooled her down. However, they would do this reenactment every so often. And so we were there one afternoon and they were doing this reenactment. Here comes a lady out of one of the shops. She is dressed in 1600s garb and, and she comes out and he's got a man, uh, supposedly her husband, he's dragging her to the magistrate, white wig and, and, and all of that. And, and they put on this little mock trial and, and, and the magistrate reads a declaration. Hear ye, hear ye, I declare. And then they put her in the catapult. And then they ask for audience participation. Can we get a volunteer to help put her into the water? Well, I could see the hand of God in that. That, that, that opportunity doesn't come, but ever so often. And so I raised my hand and volunteered. And so I got to come over here and here's this woman. I mean, she's just going to town and just running her mouth. And I thought, I will fix you. And it's just a little lever and you pull this lever and here goes this woman flying through the air out about 20 feet and just lands in that water. And I gotta tell you that, that just God just came all over me and it was like having revival all over again. 
just God just, just did something for me and it's just a spiritual renewal. They call it dunking the winch. That's what they call it. And when I got to dunk the winch, I'm just telling you, God just, just blessed me all over again. Just, we, 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 we love to travel. We, we love it. Do you know there are some places that we've been to that will never go again, right? There are some places that we've been to we can't wait to go back. We are a referral-based society. So somebody says, have you been to that restaurant? Have you seen that? Have you visited there? Boy, you've got to put that on your bucket list. You've got to go there. Now, the reason why I say that is because in 2 Kings chapter 2, it is the last day of Elijah's life. Everything that happens in this chapter happens in one day and then Elijah is going to be caught up to heaven in a chariot of fire. Elijah knows this is his last day. The sons of the prophet know it and Elisha knows it. Twice the sons of the prophet tells Elisha that today the Lord is going to take Elijah away from you. So what this chapter is telling you is what Elijah decided to do on his last day on earth. His last day, and he knows it. Now, I don't think that today is my last day. It could be. But if I knew that today was the last day that I had, if I knew that when I lay my head on the pillow tonight that I will wake up in glory, I would like to think I probably would have done some things differently today. I didn't do anything bad. I woke up, I got some work done and made some phone calls and, and, and did some studying on, on different books. And, and, but but I, I think there are, there are some things I, I probably would do different. Somebody says, well, preacher, I don't know that this is my last day. That's true. You don't know that it's not your last day. You don't know. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. And if I knew, if I knew, I wonder what kind of prayer life I would have had today. I wonder if there's somebody I would have needed to have went to and made amends with. I wonder what I would have changed about it. Elijah knows. He knows this is his last day on earth. And here's what he decides to do on his last day. He decides to visit four places. If you'll notice in verse number one, he goes to Gilgal. If you'll notice in verse number two, he goes to Bethel. If you'll notice in verse number four, he goes to Jericho. And in verse number six, he goes to Jordan. Yes. Now, now, those are places he's been before. Those are not new places. When he goes there, as far as I can tell, he doesn't preach, he doesn't prophesy, he doesn't minister. He just goes there. But there is some kind of, of historical importance, there's some kind of spiritual significance, there's a reminder of something in his life and he must visit these four places before he goes home. I want to look at them. First of all, look if you would in verse number one. It came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Gilgal. Now what's the significance of Gilgal? I want you to hold your finger right here because we're coming back to 2 Kings 2. And I want you to find Joshua chapter number 4. Joshua chapter 4, and look if you would in verse number 1. Joshua 4, verse number 1, and it came to pass. When all the people were clean passed over Jordan, that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, look at verse number 19. 
And the people came up out of Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal in the east border of Jericho. The children of Israel have been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. They have been delivered. They've come across the Red Sea. They have come through the wilderness wanderings and they are finally crossing the Jordan River into the new land. And the first place that they come to when they cross the Jordan is Gilgal. It is the first place in the new land they come to. Now, two things about Gilgal, and I'll try try not to get too wonky here. Two things about Gilgal. First of all, Gilgal is not an English word. Gilgal is a transliteration of a Hebrew word. Sometimes when you translate a word, you take a word in one language, and whatever the meaning is, then you put it in the new language. Transliteration means that you take a word, like a Hebrew word, and you just respell it. You don't give it a new definition, you just respell it, all right? That's Gilgal. The second thing about Gilgal is that nobody knows where it was. I have looked at Bible dictionaries. There's about five different locations that different archaeologists and Bible historians say that this is Gilgal. So nobody really knows where Gilgal is. But what does Gilgal mean? What is the significance of Gilgal? Well, look if you would down in verse number nine. I'm sorry, chapter five, verse number nine. The Lord said unto Joshua, this day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off of you. Wherefore the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. There's not a meaning in English, but if you look at the Hebrew word where we get Gal, Gilgal, the word means to roll, to roll away, to roll something. Gilgal, here's what the Lord said. He said, I bring you to Gilgal and this is where I roll away the reproach of Egypt from off of you. Now, I personally believe that this is just personal. I have no proof for this, but I believe that when they came to this place, that it wasn't named Gilgal. I believe that they named it Gilgal. When the Lord said, they brought him to this place, and the Lord said that this is the place where I roll away the reproach of Egypt off of you, and in commemoration of that, I believe that they named the place Gilgal. That's what it says. Wherefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. Gilgal is where the reproach of Egypt is rolled away from the people. Gilgal is where they are finally free. They are no longer slaves, no longer the wilderness. They had served Pharaoh, but now they serve God. They have suffered, they have been mistreated, but they are blessed by God. And Gilgal is a new chapter in their life. It is a new place. It is a new page in the book. It is a new day. It is a new home. So for me, Gilgal represents their deliverance. It is a place of deliverance. Whenever they would think about Gilgal, from here on out, they're gonna think we're no longer slaves. It is the first place in the new land. This is where we really began the new life. I'm not trying to say that Jordan is a picture of salvation, but the importance of Gilgal is that the reproach has been rolled away. That is why the Lord said in Joshua 4 and verse 20, He said, those 12 songs which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. He spake unto the children of Israel, saying, when your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what mean these stones? Then ye shall let your children know, saying, 
Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you were passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. Here's what the Lord said. He said, set up a memorial in Gilgal and be reminded that this is the place and this is the day where God has brought you over. Tell it to your children and tell it to your grandchildren and mark it that it's a new beginning. It's a new day. It's a new way of life. And on Elijah's last day, before he goes home, he says, I want to go visit Gilgal. I don't know what he, I don't even know if the memorial is still there but it's a special place to me. It is significant to me. And before I go home, I must visit Gilgal. I want to ask you tonight, and I know it's a Wednesday night crowd, but I want to ask you tonight, do you have a Gilgal in your life? Can you say that this is the place where I was set free? This is where I was freed from Satan. This is where I was freed from sin. This is where I was freed from condemnation. This is where I am no longer a slave. Do you have a Gilgal? If you looked at my birth certificate, my, my birth certificate is very specific as to the exact date and place of my birth. I was born June 2nd, 1969, Lutheran Hospital in Cleveland, Ohio. That's where I was born. Now, now, my birth certificate does not say, it does not say that I was born from June 2nd to June 6th. It does not say that I was born somewhere in, in, in northeastern Ohio. It is very specific. There was a moment, there was a moment when I was not here, and the next moment I was here. There is a specific place. There is an exact date. I tell you that getting saved is a process getting up to it. But the birth is an instantaneous birth. Hallelujah. There is a moment of birth. It is not that I think that I was six or I was seven or I was eight sometime. No, 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 no. I can tell you the time. I can take you to the place. I can take you tonight within three feet of the place where I bowed my knees and trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That is my Gilgal is what it is. Sometimes I, I, I get a little... Not, not ashamed of my testimony, but, but my testimony is not very spectacular. My, my dad was a pastor when I was growing up, and I, I was raised in a preacher's home, and, and my dad was always very strict. We had tight standards. And, and so as a preacher boy or a preacher's boy, boy, there's not a whole lot that you can get into. I, I have never smoked a cigarette in my life. I, I, have, I have never tasted a drop of alcohol in my life. I have never, in, in 49 years, I have never been inside of a movie theater in all of my life. If you set drugs in front of me, I would not recognize it. I, I am so ignorant about something, and I'm glad for that. But I remember the night on September the 27th, 1976, seven-year-old boy. And I remember I was in my bedroom, and we, I shared a room with my older sister. And that night she got under conviction, and mom and dad came in, and they talked to her, and, and then they went back to bed and lying in bed that night for the first time, for the first time, I remember the Holy Spirit speaking to me about my need of a Savior. I got up, 
went down the hall, knocked on my dad's door. Mom and dad came back into the bedroom. I can see it right now as if it was yesterday. I can see mama kneeling on one side. I can see daddy kneeling there with that big, thick black Bible. Can't remember all the verses. Can't remember the prayer. But I remember that night that I bowed my heart to Jesus, asking to save as a simple little child. All I can tell you, all I can tell you is that the burden of sin rolled away. I could take you tonight, I could take you tonight to the little white frame house on Muskogee Road in Cancomit, Florida. That is where I was born again. Do you have a Gilgal? And see, when I give my testimony, it's not exciting, and here's the reason why. I didn't get my hair cut, it was already cut. And I didn't quit drinking because I wasn't drinking. And I didn't quit smoking because I wasn't smoking. And I didn't quit cussing because I never had cussed. I tell you, there wasn't a big, and here's the thing about it, there wasn't a big visible change in my life. It wasn't, my story, my story will never be unshackled. But it is my story. It's, 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 it's my experience. That, that, that's, that, and, I, and I tell you tonight that if you were to give your testimony, how convincing would it be? Do you have a Gilgal? In fact, does it even convince you? Huh? Or, or do you have to talk yourself into it? And maybe you don't know the date, but in your mind right now, there ought to be a time and a place. I hope that your testimony tonight is, I hope it's not that I've always been in church, so I've always just assumed that I was saved. I hope that's not it. I hope that your testimony tonight is, well, I think I was four, I think I was five, and it was vacation Bible school, and I don't really know what I did, but my mama always told me that I would say, boy, I hope that's not your testimony. I'm saying tonight that you must have a Gilgal before you die. You must have that thing nailed down, and if you have never been to Gilgal, you're not ready to go home. Someone go to Gilgal. Come, come back to 2 Kings 2. Come, come back to it. Look, look if you would in verse number two. <clears throat> Elijah said unto Elijah, Terry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. Bethel. He goes to Gilgal, but hey, Elijah, you stay here, but I'm going to go visit Bethel. What's the significance of Bethel? Hold your finger right here. Don't lose it. Go to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28, life of Jacob. Look, if you would, in verse number 10, Jacob went out from Beersheba, went toward Haran. He lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. He took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillow and laid down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. Jacob is on the run. He spends much of his life running from somebody or from God. He's running from Esau. He's really running from the Lord. And that night, he, he, he leaves home. He's, he's a schemer. He's a conniver. He's a deceiver. He has stolen his brother's birthright. He has lied to his father. And in all of his swindling, he's left a lot of hurt people behind he makes the deal with his mother. He has to run from Esau. He'll never see his mother alive again. He's dishonest, he's crooked, he's unscrupulous, he's always looking out for himself, he's always trying to get one over on the other guy, but that night for the first time, he encounters God. 
He's sleeping that night. And when he wakes up, here's what happens in verse number 15. Behold, here's what the Lord says. Behold, I am with thee. I will keep thee in all places whither thou goest. I will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I've done that which I've spoken to thee of. And Jacob awakened out of his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. He realizes it has not been a vision. It has been a visitation. He met God that night. Notice what he says, if you would, down in verse number 19. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city was called Luz at the first. Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone, which I have set for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. He comes to Bethel. It is the first place that he meets God. Here's what he found out. He found out that you can't always run your life. He found out that God wants to run your life. And Bethel is the first place where Jacob takes his hands off of his life and says, God, if you'll protect me, I'll take my hands off and I will surrender to you. Gilgal's the place of deliverance. Bethel is the place of denial. Self-denial, submission. God, you run my life. You be in charge. You be my God. Now, Jacob's got a lot of growing to do. Jacob is not sanctified yet. There's still a lot of Jacob that has to come out of Jacob. But for the first time, he recognizes God in his life. And for the first time, he surrenders his will to someone else. If you've never been to Gilgal, and you know that you had, that the reports of sin has been rolled away. You're not ready to go home. But I say to you that if you've never had a Bethel where you recognize God in your life and you surrender to him self-denial, I say that you are not ready to go home. Do you have a Bethel? Do you have a place where you have surrendered to him, where you have quit running from God? And a lot of Christians have a Gilgal, but they're still living for their own will. They've never surrendered. When I think about my testimony, I have a Bethel in my life. January the 1st, 1978 was watch night, December 31st was watch night service. I was eight years old. There was having a watch night service at Bible Baptist Church in Pace, Florida. We had gone that night to that, that meeting. And that night, that night, God sat down next to an eight-year-old toe-headed boy and said, I want you to preach. I didn't have a clue what I was doing, but that night, somewhere before midnight, I walked the aisle and I knelt right there, right there. And all that I know is I gave all of me to all of him. Had no idea what God would do with my life. Had no idea if God could use me in any way. But all I knew is that I wanted to surrender my life to him. There have been many times of renewing that surrender and renewing that submission. But you've got to have a Bethel in your life. Got to have it. By, by the way, by the way, did you know it is impossible to submit unless you disagree. Now think about it. You can't submit unless you disagree. I'll give you an example. I'll leave Friday night, head home, got some meetings Saturday morning. Saturday evening, I will take my wife to dinner. And I will ask my wife, where do you want to go? That's a rhetorical question I already know. My wife has two or three places. My wife will probably say, let's go to Carrabba's, Italian restaurant. That's fine. 
I might, Saturday, be in a mood for seafood. I might prefer red lobster, okay? And so we get in the car, we're going to dinner, and so she has a preference, a desire for carabos. I have a desire for red lobster. One of us is going to submit to the other, right? That's what's going to happen. Now, now, truthfully, she likes red lobster, I like carabos. This is no big deal. I know it's a little tiny thing. Here's probably what's going to happen, all right? She, she wants to go to Carabas. I want to go to Red Lobster. We will compromise, meet in the middle, and we'll go to Carabas. And so that's the way that we'll work that, okay? <laughs> but let's, let's just suppose. Let's, now, now, if we both get in the car and we both want to go to Red Lobster, neither one of us has to submit. We agree, right? But if we get in the car and she wants to go in one direction and I want to go in the other direction, I have no problem. She doesn't care. I don't care. Then let's just go to Carabas. I, I surrender my interests, my desires, my preferences in a small thing, I surrendered that to her. I defer to her. That's what submission is, right? And what the Lord does is he appoints something in your life that he disagrees with, right? You want to go one direction, he wants to go in another direction. Well, somebody has to surrender to somebody else. I'm going to tell you, God's not going to blink. He's not, Right? And it's, now, 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 if we get in the car, we can fight about where we're going to go. I can argue I want to go one place, she can, and we can be hard-headed about it, and we can go somewhere, and we won't enjoy each other's company. Right. It's so much sweeter and peaceful if one of us just... You, are, you, are you picking up what I'm trying to lay down? You can't submit unless you disagree, right? And God has a way of telling you the things in, his, in your life that you, he disagrees with. And it brings you to a point of submission. And I wonder tonight, I wonder tonight, and this is the cream of the crop. This is the spiritual crowd on Wednesday night. But I wonder if there are things in your life that God disagrees with that you've never surrendered. What is it that you keep wrestling with God over? In our church, and this is just our church, but in our church, I, I preach standards um, just like your pastor does. And, and I'm sure we believe the same thing on, on, on a lot of things. And, and so I preach standards in our church. And, and here's the way that we do it. In our church, I, I, our, our church knows exactly what I believe about dress and different things. And so when it is church activity, a youth activity or whatever it might be, a church picnic, then have enough respect for me as pastor to abide by my standards, all right? Just, just dress like I asked you to. Now, in their public life, and their private life, I'm not your daddy, I'm your pastor, and so I don't, I don't dictate to that, all right? But, but when you're at church, when, when you're going to represent us as a church, then, then just, just abide by that. And everybody does that. Nobody has a problem with it. However, if you're going to be in a leadership position, if you're going to be our, our music director, if you're going to be a Sunday school teacher, that, that's a higher position. So I have a list of leadership requirements. But we're going to take it up a notch. That's what we're going to do. We're going to step it up a little bit because I'm setting you in front of a class. I'm setting you in front of somebody and basically saying, I, I want you to be like them. Well, well I, 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 so, so we're going to step it up a little bit. So, so I have leadership requirements, all right? Um, I, I'll just give you, now this is just me. This is just me, all right? And, and again, I'm, 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 this is me. I only have to pastor one church. So I, I have a requirement. I, I don't believe that women ought to wear pants, okay? I, I'm like, there's only like three people left in the world that believe that. But, but I don't believe women ought to wear pants, and a lot of our women do. But if you're going to teach a Sunday school class in our church, in our church, then I just put that in leadership requirement. You know, I've had ladies in our church, good ladies, good ladies, that would have made great Sunday school teachers. Well, they read the leadership requirement. 
and said, I'm not willing to give that up to serve in that capacity. They looked at something lesser and something greater and said, I'd rather have the lesser instead of the greater. Now, again, that's, that's just me. I'm killing the service. I know. That's just my standard. But I wonder, to, I wonder tonight, I wonder tonight, I wonder tonight, what keeps you from God using you? I wonder if God would like to use you as a Sunday school teacher, preacher, missionary. I, I don't know. But I wonder what is it in your life that prevents God. I wonder what lesser thing that you keep fighting with God over. And if you'd surrender that, God would have something so much greater for you. You ever been to the place of denial? Look, if you would, in chapter 29 here. Jacob went on his journey, came into the land of the people of the east. You know what happens? He left Bethel. Boy, there's going to be a lot of heartache. Come to chapter 35. Years are going to pass. A lot of tragedy, a lot of brokenness. Look, if you would, in chapter 35, verse number 1. God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make thee there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau, thy brother. Hey, Jacob, you need to go back to Bethel. Because what happened is you surrendered, but you got away from it. You left the place of denial, the place of submission, and it's not gone well with you. You need to go back to Bethel. So he says in verse 2, Jacob said unto his household, all that were with him, he said, put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments and let us arise and go up to Bethel. The world has crept into his life, but you can't take that stuff back to Bethel. We're going to have to leave it all behind. Jacob says, we are going to clean up this mess. We're going to get rid of the strange gods. We are going back to Bethel, that place of self-denial, and we're going to build an altar there. You remember when you were fully surrendered? You remember when God touched your heart about that ministry? The call to preach? Do you remember when you would never miss church? Do you remember that? What happened? You got away from Bethel. If you have never been to Bethel, where you say, God, I take my hands off of your life, you be my God. You're not ready to go home. You got to visit it. Come back to 2 Kings chapter 2. Still with me? Say amen. amen. 2 Kings 2. Look if you would in verse 4. Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. He goes to Gilgal. He goes to Bethel. And then he wants to make a visit to Jericho. You know what happens in Jericho, don't you? Joshua chapter 6. You know the story well. Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6. It is the place of initial victory. It is the first city they conquer in the new land. Here's the battle plan. Joshua 6, verse 1. Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. Ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war. Go round about the city once, thus thou shalt do six days. Seven priests shall bear before thee the ark, seven trumpets of ram's horns, and the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. Here's what happens. They come into the new land. They come up to Jericho, first city of conquest. Joshua's got his army there. And God says, I'm going to give you the city. Boy, Joshua's excited. How's God going to do it? All right, Lord, what's the battle plan? How are we going to do this? 
And the Lord said, here's the battle plan. He said, I want you to get the priests with the trumpets and the ark, get all your men. And he said, I want you to march around the walls of the city one time. All right, good. So, boy, Joshua gets his army together. Here they go. They start blowing those horns. They march around that city. Joshua says, all right, Lord, what's next? And the Lord said, that's all. Done for the day. That's it. That's it. That's all. Boy, day two, Joshua gets up. Man, this is the day God has given us the city. This is going to be victory. We're going to conquer it. All right, Lord, what's the battle plan? Here's what I want you to do, Joshua. I want you to get the men together, get them all arrayed. He said, I want you to march around the city one time, the walls of the city. Well, Lord, we did that yesterday. I know, I want you to do it again today. Boy, Joshua gets his army together. Man, here they go. Blow the ram's horn. They march around the walls of that city. All right, Lord, what do we do now? Nothing, you're done. That's it. Done for the day. Really? Boy, day three. Boy, Joshua's excited. This has got to be the day. Lord, what are we doing? Get you in. March around the city. We did it yesterday. I know. Do it again. Marches around the city. You're done. Day after day after day. Do you know how that they conquered Jericho? They kept doing what God said do, even if it was the same thing, and even when it seemed like nothing is happening. Jericho represents diligence. Diligence. Do you know how you live a victorious Christian life? Some people think there is this big secret breakthrough, this big second blessing, and boy, all of a sudden, you're just not going to have any trouble with temptation, and just your life is just going to turn, everything's going to turn around. No, no, it's not one big bang. I will tell you how to have a victorious Christian life. Find out what God wants you to do, and do it today, and then do it tomorrow, and do it the next day, and do it day after day after day, and don't stop, and don't get discouraged, and don't quit, and don't look for a better plan, he says, I want you just to keep marching and I'll take care of the rest. And there's a place where you learn diligent obedience. Can you say tonight that you have a life of long obedience? Preacher, I've had people join our church, all gangbusters, and a month later you can't find them. Huh? There are some people, I mean, they just grab the bull by the horns. Man, they are quick to start anything. They never finish anything. Huh? I, I, watch them, I watch them. They start on the front pew, move to the back, and in our church, then it's the foyer, and then it's out. Right? I've seen that. But here's what else I have seen. I have seen some members just come and come and come and come and Sunday school, and Sunday morning, and Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and Sunday school, and Sunday morning, and Sunday night, and I have seen them just go to the nursing home, next Sunday go back to the nursing home, next Sunday go back to the nursing home, next Sunday just go back to the nursing home. I have seen them teach that Sunday school class, and just teach that Sunday school class, just keep these teaching, just, just come to visitation, just come to visitation, just come to visitation, just come to visitation. And I tell you tonight, that if you have never been to Jericho, where you learn to find out what God wants you to do, and just keep doing it day after day after day after day, I read my Bible yesterday, read a day, going to read it tomorrow. Prayed yesterday, prayed today, going to pray tomorrow. And if you have never developed, if you have never developed a habit of lifelong consistent obedience, a diligent Christian life, if you've never been to Gilgal, you are not ready to go home. I'll give you one more, I'm done. Second Kings, Second Kings, 
chapter 2. Look, look, if you would, in verse number 6. Verse 6. Elijah said unto him, Terry, I pray thee, here, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. The Jordan River. Jordan is the last obstacle for the children of Israel before they go into Canaan. You know, two times in the Old Testament, God parts the waters, one at the Red Sea, one at the Jordan River. Very similar, they're not the same. There is one major difference in the two miracles. And here's the major difference. When the children of Israel came to the banks of the Red Sea, God parted the waters, and the Bible says that they passed over on dry land. That is not how it happened with the Jordan River. When they came to the Jordan River, you, you research it. The Bible says that they came to the Jordan River. They put the priest with the ark there first. And when the priest stepped his foot out to put into the waters, that is when the waters parted. It is not until he took that step of daring faith, that's when he saw the miracle. But he had to take the step. He had to do something daring for God. That's what he had to do. I'm going to take this step of faith and if God doesn't come through, I don't know what else I'm going to do. God's got to come through. And he takes that step of daunting, daring faith. And God parts the waters. Hey, listen to me. If you have never taken a daring step of faith, if you've never tried anything daunting for God, if you've never tried anything big, if you've never taken a step of faith where the Lord better come through or I'm sunk, if you've never tried something big for God, you're not ready to go home. Amen. Got a retired missionary in my church and somebody mentioned him last night. Brother Tony Stark, I love Brother Stark. Brother Stark just came home yesterday from the country of Arwanda. He's speaking tonight, giving an update in our church tonight. Brother Stark got under the burden. He was in Uganda for about 20 years. A lot of health problems had to come home. Ended up in our church. Several months ago last year, Brother Stark called me and said, come over to my office at the house. Had a big map of the country of Arwanda on his wall. You may know the country of Arwanda had a lot of genocide in years past. A lot of bloodshed. About a year and a half ago, the country, the, the government of Rwanda shut down every church in the country. Something like 6,700 churches that were shut down overnight. They did it on the premise of building codes, zones, violations. There was one independent Baptist missionary in the country of Rwanda. One. He has since, I believe he was a good man, but I think he has since left the country. And left the country with no gospel witness. And just to make a long story short, Brother Stark had on that map of Rwanda, he had 10 cities, he had a red dot on that map of 10 cities of 75,000 population or more. He said, I believe that we can start a church in all 10 of these cities. He's got a Bible college in Uganda. There's a handful of men that are training for the ministry. There is one church in Burundi that is the very southern end of Rwanda that has started back up that he's working with. And, and, and I won't go into all of it. We're... Uh, we, we're, we're going over in April for a couple of weeks, going back in January. We're going to start a Bible college. We want to start a radio station. 
We're going to print a container load of scripture for Arwanda. And God burdened my heart for the country of Arwanda. I got up in our church a couple of months ago and we talked about it and I said, hey, here's, here's the vision that I have. I'd like for our church to take on Arwanda as a project. We support missionaries and faith promise. I'd like for that just to be an extra thing. There's a town, Ruangiri, that there's a man ready to start a church for $10,000. You can buy the land and build the building. And I wasn't planning on taking an offering that night, but in about two minutes, just God does things spontaneous. In about two minutes, we had raised $10,000, boom, to start that first church. There's three churches since then have started there. We believe, our church believes, that God is going to allow our little church to evangelize the country of Rwanda. I believe that. I believe that. You say, what if it doesn't happen? I sure hate not to try. I would hate to get to heaven one day and for the Lord to show me what could have happened. We ain't got no money. But what could have happened if we'd have believed Him enough to just take that step. It'd be sad tonight to go home and have never had an answer to prayer. It'd be sad tonight to go home and they never led a person to Jesus Christ. It would be sad tonight to go home and for God to show you what He could have used you for if you'd have just believed Him enough to take that step of daring faith just to see if God would come through. If you've never been to Gilcow where the reproach has been rolled away, you're not ready to go home. If you've never been to Bethel, where you said, Lord, my life is yours to control, you're not ready to go home. If you've never been to Jericho and learned to just keep marching, keep marching, keep marching, you're not ready. If you've never taken that step into the Jordan, I said, I'm going to try something big for you, you're not ready to go home. Just bow your heads with me tonight. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the Word of God tonight. How you've used this passage to speak to my heart. I don't know what you could use me for, but I don't want to wait to heaven, get to heaven to find out. I pray that you'd help our church tonight. Lord, the money that we need to raise, the men that we need to train, but you've placed that upon our heart. And I pray that you would use us to reach that country. I, I believe tonight that we can evangelize the entire country. And I believe that you could help us. I pray for somebody tonight that their testimony tonight is shaky. It doesn't even convince them. I pray tonight they'd really question, have I ever... Have I ever been to Gilgal and trusted you? 